Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. My name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Mike and Robin Murto. It's July 5th, 2018. We're at the Nicholson Library at Linfield College. And we'll start you off with a nice, easy question, which is why wine, or in your case, why grapes? Well, we uh, bought our place in September, or hold it, uh, May of uh, 91. It was six and a half acres. Uh, fairground. And driving up to our place, you'd go by your raft and... Mm-hmm. You're going well. Well, I guess this is the the coming industry we were thinking. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, and and the property had been in farm deferral, and in order to avoid paying several years of back taxes, we had to do something with the ground, uh, farm it in some way. Mm-hmm. So, uh, as Mike said, you know, there, we, there were a big one right across the street, Erath, and we said, let's plant grapes. So we did. What made you be, what, what made you want to be in Dundee in the first place? Why was that the location you wanted to be in? I think she was uh, the main instigator of moving out of the city. I had lived on a farm. I was a young man. I don't need to <laughs> go read. Well, I did want to live in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted more space. Um, I'm a gardener, and I wanted to have a big garden, and I wanted at least what I perceived as the peace and quiet of the country. <laughs> so, and, and Mike was working in Newburgh, and um, we were living in Tigard in a neighborhood. It was a nice neighborhood, but it was a neighborhood. And so, um, Dundee just we found this house on six and a half acres it was a really pretty house and the property was very nice so I nagged him until he <laughs> decided to buy it it was a new house mm-hmm. no remodeling needed so I was off the hook we didn't have to worry about doing any more of that and I I'll, I'll just speak for myself. I was not a wine drinker when mm-hmm. we moved out there. I was a scotch drinker. I still am a scotch drinker. Um, but uh, it seemed logical that you would plant gra- the The ground was beautifully mm-hmm. sloped, was perfect for a vineyard. So it was a no-brainer. Sure. So you had, you had a farming background. Um, how did you learn about grapes? My parents had beef and dairy. Oh, okay. Nothing on four hooks. <laughs> <laughs> how did you learn about growing grapes then? Uh, two neighbors, Jim Marsh and Dick Erath. Pretty good people to learn from, yeah. I guess. Yeah. They've Absolutely. been doing it for 10 or 12 years before <laughs> we got there. Sure. So what was the process like then as you were, what were the kind of the obstacles or challenges you weren't expecting as you put in grapes? Uh, probably when we started planting in 1992 it was one of the driest years we had, warmest, driest years. And it was very hard to plant several thousand plants and keep them alive. Mm-hmm. That was the major challenge. That and we ran out of friends really fast uh, to help us plant. Sure. And we had no clue what we were doing. 
no clue whatsoever. We just said, put them in the ground, and and we wind we wound up losing a lot of plants mm -hmm. that year because. We both had full-time jobs, and it was hard to stay on top of all the... It would have to be hand-watering. We don't yeah. have irrigation. Sure. Um, so we did have a tractor um, to help a little bit. But um, so we were totally naive about what we were getting ourselves into. Did you just plant Pinot Noir to start with, or did you try a variety of things? Pinot Noir. Just Pinot Noir. And that was because a recommendation or just because? Yeah, the yeah. Neighbors, I mean, that was going to be the grape. Fortunately, we didn't <laughs> go out and plant five rows of this and five rows of that. Sure. And, you know, like, uh, like they did previous to us, they pretty much led us in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about the industry as you came into it. What was it like? Uh, how many people were in it? You know, how, how, did, how big did it seem? It seemed very small. Uh, mm -hmm. I think there were 70 wineries, 70, you know, it was, yeah. and I might be wrong there, I'm just guessing. That was in the whole state. Yeah. 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 Now there's, what, 10 times that many? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it was hard to find labor. Mm -hmm. um, there were not the labor contractors there are today. Um, so, you know, we, we really, first of all, we didn't realize that we needed labor. Um, but then, once we did need it, it was pretty hard to find. Sure, sure. So I, I guess I would also add, in the, it, right in the middle of all this planting, this, we planted in the spring of 1992, and in the, right when right. we were in the middle of planting, yeah. then the adjoining 20 acres came up for sale. And that adjoining 20 acres had eight acres of vines already mm. planted on it, vines that were planted in 1978 by um, Jim McDaniel. <laughs> and, um, and so the man that owned it, who was named Bill Pirelli Minetti, he was um, a long, came, he was born into the wine industry in California. And um, he, he wanted to sell the ground. Mm -hmm. And he came over and he said, are you guys interested in buying this property? And we said, well, let us think about it. And so we thought about it. He had it listed with a realtor. And there were people in their cars driving up in the vineyard because it had a home site on it. And um, we said, we don't want neighbors, so let's buy it. <laughs> So we did, and we convinced Mike's cousin to go in with us as partners. Mm -hmm. Was the three of us? That's how we started. And fortunately, we got all the equipment with the mm. first thing. I mean, sure. I think we paid what one hundred and fifty thousand. So I mean, today's if you say you bought 20 acres of Dundee property for 150000 yeah, was and all the equipment. Yeah. But, but you know what, Mike, at that time, it, well, was, yeah, it was hard on uh, our hearts because it was a lot of money. Sure, sure. After we had just bought a house that was five times, you know, what we had planned on ever spending. So, um, and we all had day jobs. And we had now instantly eight acres of 
of vines to take care of. Mm -hmm. And we had no idea what to do. And so we would say, call up Jim Marsh and say, what should we be doing today, Jim? And then we'd call Dickie Rath, and they'd tell us different things. <laughs> Depending on where you're at. I mean, you know, it's what they're doing now. Yeah. So then we'd go. It's all pretty close. Yeah, they were close, but so, um, and so that's how we got through that first year. And Rex Hill had a contract to buy our fruit. Mm -hmm. And we had a bumper crop that year, and we made money, and we went, hey, we're really on to something here. This is too easy. Yeah. <laughs> well, it went downhill from there quickly. <laughs> but we worked our butts off, uh, all three of us. True. Every weekend, we'd be out there doing spraying, and, and you'd have to spray on the weekends and the weather didn't always cooperate, so then somebody would have to take a day off work mm. to get the vineyard sprayed. You mentioned having a contract with Rex Hill. How did you go about finding people to, to buy your grapes? Mainly calling. Mm -hmm. Nor, we've sold to Rex Hill for a while, and then, you know, this may be what I want to do some editing here. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to speak bad of them, but you know they ran into some financial troubles in mm -hmm. the early '90s. So you know this made. I, then we started looking for other people, mm -hmm. and really we got searched out. So if, uh, I'll start now. Uh, one of the people to search us out at that time was Tori Moore, and they were just starting. Another one who was just starting was Belpont and Carlton, and Raptor Ridge, and Robin worked with Scott and Annie at sequence mm -hmm. so, from Raptor Ridge. So here were three wineries just starting out that we were selling our fruit to that. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And Patty Green was the winemaker yep. at Tory Moore. Oh, of course, right. Um, so we were in the first uh, bottlings of Tory Moore, Raptor Ridge, Bergstrom. Right. Even before Raptor Ridge was a bonded winery, yep. They were, he was, uh, he was an amateur winemaker, Scott was, mm -hmm. and um, we worked, we both worked, well, all three of us, Annie, Scott, and me, all worked at Sequent Computer Systems. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting an email one day from Scott, and Casey Powell was the CEO of Sequent. He had his own private plane, and Scott says, guess what? Murto Raptor Ridge is the house poor on Casey's airplane. <laughs> we were ecstatic. <laughs> so you mentioned after that kind of great early crop, the things you had some struggles after that. Was it just keeping enough fruit, or was it quality of fruit, or what? What, what were kind of the growing pains? I think the you know you had a pretty good crop in '92 because of the fruit set. It was pure, perfect warm weather, mm -hmm. but. Then fruit sets start becoming a little bit more 93, 94. 94, I think we bloomed in after the 4th of July. Mm. And then we did, it was in the rain. Sure. So at 94, if you have any of those wines, are great wines. You just have a lot of them. <laughs> sure. Yeah. We opened our last two. Well, when Patty Green died, we opened her, our last 94 toy more. And we took uh, the last 94 Marsh over to Jim's birthday. Uh, he, when he was 92 there mm. this past year. 
Yeah. We're out in we're out of ninety fours. <laughs> yeah. And the other part was trying to stay on top of all the work. Mm -hmm. I mean, not only were we kind of blind and feeling our way, but now we had eight acres to take care of. Mm -hmm. And for the three of us with day jobs, it wa it was a lot of really, really hard work. Sure. Um, I think fortunately back then, Tori Moore had a crew that was not always busy. Mm -hmm. So when we needed some work done, we took it off the bill. Sure, sure. So mm -hmm. sure. Jose would come over and they do their job. And but it was, it was not long after that, I want to say uh, maybe two or three, maybe four years, we um, kind of, we did struggle with labor and mm -hmm. um, we had a, a crew that came in and really messed up the pruning job. Mm. And, um, and we were not smart enough initially to understand that. So once we figured that out, we um, said, we're not gonna let, leave that job to anybody else. Um, so we hired a guy, uh, what was his? Yeah. Jack Meyer. Jack Meyer um, to come out and teach us to prune, mm -hmm. which he did. From that point on, Mike and I pruned our, our whole vineyard and every year. Mm -hmm. And um, we grew the vineyard. There was room, still room to plant mm -hmm. on that additional 20 acres and so we continued to plant and we now have 16 acres planted so the two of us uh, up until last two years ago the two of us have pruned the whole thing every winter ourselves and I gave up my pruning license two years ago <laughs> and but Mike still has been out there and you did what 12 acres yourself this year I've got one of the other crews comes in that's four to six acres so. wow yeah so we, we know how to prune <laughs> I can imagine so yeah <laughs> how long did you juggle the keeping a full-time day job and also the vineyard how uh, 11 years ago I took an early retirement on the paper okay so that was, that was quite a while then. Yeah. And I, I retired, what, five years ago, maybe? Six years, something yeah. like that. Wow. We still do all the tractor work. Sure. We, still, we each have our own tractors and our own sprayers, and we do all the spraying and the mowing and all of that. At what point did you feel like you, were, you knew enough to, to, to kind of lead the way yourself without a lot of outside help? How long did that take? Five, six years. Late yeah. 90s, you know, 97, 98. And you've got a pretty good feel of what was going on. Not all of it, but you kind of, yeah, you kind of have milestones or benchmarks in there. And it was like, yeah, maybe on May 15th, we should be doing a first spray. Memorial Day is second spray, mm -hmm. you know. And if, you've got, if you're going into bloom, let's hope it's around June 21st. And because you always got that 100 to 110 days from bloom, mm -hmm. you know, and so kind of see, see and feel those days out and it's kind of nice when you hit them and <laughs> I think the other thing too though living on Warden Hill Road 
where we are surrounded by wonderful vineyards and wonderful people that own those vineyards. Um, it's a pretty social neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And um, so whenever we would have parties, you know, many times the topic, one of the topics of discussion is, you know, what's going on in your vineyard. And, um, and things have changed over the years. Um, you know, uh, new things crop up that we have to deal with, pra different practices um, are ex we do now than we did in the past. Mm -hmm. And so having this community of grape growers right at our fingertips has been incredibly helpful as mm -hmm. well. Not only are they really dear friends, but They've, they've been a good source, all of us together are mm -hmm. a good source for each other. Mm -hmm. And it's a very, um, a very sharing community. Um, I remember one harvest was a miserable harvest. It was in the rain and it was 1997, wasn't it? Pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> That horrible harvest when well, I won't go there. Um, anyway, um, but we were loading, uh, loading our load, and the and we and the picking crew didn't show up on time, and we had we. I literally went out on Warden Hill Road and flagged down any cars that looked like they were workers, and lo and behold, we got people to come and help us harvest. Um, anyway, um, our, we were it was the end of the day. And uh, Mike was loading, and our tractor broke. The loader wouldn't work. So we called our neighbor down the road, Jerry Koshal from Crumbled Rock Winery, and we said, Jerry, can you come up and help us load? Well, he had just finished harvest. He had taken a shower. He was sitting down with a glass of Pinot, <laughs> and he puts on his grubbies, drives his tractor up in the rain, and helps us load. And that's the kind of community it is. Mm -hmm. um, anybody would do anything for anybody else. So, you know, it's, it's been hard work, but it's been incredibly rewarding as well. Did you, did you ever try your hand at making wine or think about winemaking, or was it always just going to be grape growing? We never got really interested in making wine. But we did dabble in the wine sales part of it. Okay. But uh, we would go to a. In 2002, we first tried our first vintage. We. Is that Aaron? No. No, it was, it was Eric Comaker. Eric Comaker mm -hmm. bought uh, one of our older blocks, and so one of our agreements was okay, we'll, we'll, we want to buy back two or three barrels and try our hand at whatever else is doing, you know. Sure. And how did it go? I think it went really well. We got it. it was like that first harvest. Wow, we're sold everything. <laughs> This is too easy. It was great. It was great wine. Yeah. It was really nice wine. And we didn't have a tasting room. We never had a tasting room. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we stayed under two or three other cases. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. that was enough. But that was a lot for us. Uh, And and at, let's see, Eric did it f with us for four years. Yep, and then Aaron Hess, Aaron Hess made our wine for us. Um, 
And was two, 2014 was our last vintage, 15. what, 2015? 2014 was made in artisanal, mm -hmm. and 2015 was made by uh, Jackson Holstein. Oh, mm. right, right. We did some trading. It was easy to, it, it's kind of nice to say, okay, we want a third back in the bottle. Mm -hmm. No cash, you know, you, you don't have to pay us for the grape, just third back. And it, it's just easier on their pocketbooks. And, sure. You know, well, and I guess the other thing that we we have enjoyed over the years is um, getting connected with people that are just getting going in the wine mm -hmm. industry, and um, and so Jackson, Alan Holstein's mm -hmm. son, um, w w when we connected with him was just getting going in the wine industry, and you know we knew we didn't have much money and. Um, that was fine. We got wine back. We were happy. And he was happy. And he's a darn good winemaker. Um, he's made some really lovely wines from our fruit. Yeah, on that note, what's it, what has it been like watching your, your area of wine industry grow so fast and see all these new people coming into it? And now you're kind of like in a mentor role. How has that been for you, for you to handle? There's, we've seen filbert orchards on our, you know, all of a sudden last harvest is there and they're gone. Mm -hmm. and it's a changing scene out there, not just on our road, but I think throughout Yamhill County. Uh, mm -hmm. I think a lot of ground has been taken out of production in one area and put into grapes. And mm -hmm. I hope they all realize the financial things of growing. I and mean, it's farm. It's, mm -hmm. Care whether you're raising cows or wheat or grapes, and you've got to manage it like you're going to tend to making a profit. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is, I see now some of these people don't have the. They don't have such a big checkbook. I mean, we may want to add out some of my <laughs> editorial here on the, the new people in the industry. Sure. I'm, I, I'm thinking it's great that they're here. Uh, there's room for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. uh, just look at all the filberts that are getting planted now. Yeah. You know, they've taken the old wheat and old grass seed out and filberts and mm -hmm. they're popping up. So it, if you go back to like 2005, 2006, I think it was when we saw some of the first big expansions and mm -hmm. then we had that downturn, the recession, and then we're, and we came back out of it. And, um, I guess I would say for me personally, I, um, and I'm just going to address Warden Hill Road, mm -hmm. but I, I am a little saddened by what I see. <clears throat> the people coming in now are uh, pretty much 100% people that don't live on the road anymore. Um, they live someplace else. Mm -hmm. So. Um, and they, they hire everything done. You know, they've built these huge, grandiose tasting rooms. Mm -hmm. um, we used to pour wine at Crumbled Rock in a little red barn, and we had a heck of a good time, and our customers were wonderful. And um, that was a lot of fun, and that whole feeling is pretty much gone. Uh, the Marsh Little Red Barn is the last standing mm -hmm. kind of little mm -hmm. tasting room. Um, so I, I, I'm saddened because the sense of community is no longer there. 
you know, the camaraderie that I was talking about earlier, the, the great neighbors and, you know, um, it, it's all gone and it's, it's, it's changed tremendously. And the new owners are people with, uh, for the most part, a lot of money. Mm. And um, so that, that community sense is gone. On the other hand, I, I do totally understand it because we're all getting old. And um, all the people on our road are, uh, oh, well, we are about the youngest and we're old. So um, they're older. Um, but so, and people's children are not interested mm -hmm. in taking on the vineyards. Mm -hmm. um, and at some point you can't do it anymore. And so I, I do totally understand why people are selling these lovely old vineyards. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, it, I guess inevitably it is gonna change. Mm -hmm. And that's just how life goes. <laughs> Let's talk about some of the some of the challenges you've seen faced uh, growing grapes. I'm thinking specifically of like phylloxera and things like that. How were you affected by that or other similar issues, and how did you deal with it? Well, that is probably one of our biggest mistakes: is not realizing in the early '90s what a problem phylloxera was going to be. Mm -hmm. uh, back then, nobody really talked much about grafted roots or putting stuff on rootstock. Had we had to do it all over again? we would have probably started with 500 plants and, you know, and, and worked our way up instead mm -hmm. of putting a thousand in the time. Yeah. <laughs> sure. And they would have been grafted yeah. and not self-rooted. Yeah, right. sure. So how did you handle it when it, when it hit? It's just hit. Last, we've discovered it about five years ago. Oh my gosh, okay. So we are slowly, right around harvest, you can always tell, or right now, the, you just go out and they're the wheat plants and they're not doing much and you, out they go and we've been putting a new one in its place and wow. it's slow death and, but you know all of a sudden you look back where well, I put it in five years and it's almost it's in production mm -hmm. so whoever if we sell our place you know they're going to have to uh, realize that we've been adding the rootstock back in and we've got it in several places and biggest that's our biggest challenge mm -hmm. and it's a big challenge because we are not an irrigated vineyard so when we put in new plants we have to hand water them mm -hmm. we hand water them the first year or two depending on how wet the year has and it's a very manual process I mean we have a hundred gallon tank and Mike drives the tank this the tractor and I walk behind with a hose. Oh my gosh. And we finally got smart. I don't know how smart this will sound, but um, we went to Ace Hardware and bought 300 one gallon little red buckets, drilled holes in them. <laughs> we sit one next to each plant we have to water and we walk along and fill up those buckets. I mean, that's how we have to water these new plants. Wow. On top of still taking care of the vineyard, you know, mm -hmm. staying on top of the spray program and the weeds and all of that kind of stuff. So that, that has been, um, I guess, in, for me personally, it has been a tipping point that says, you know, 
we're getting too old to to be doing this because mm -hmm. um, it is it, we're out there almost every day and that's I'm I'm tired of that mm -hmm. I you know we've been there 27 years and I think it's time to call it a day and uh, you heard that we have eight acres we're planted in 78 so that's our old and mm -hmm. those vines are still we've got a couple bullseyes in the middle of both four acre sections but mm -hmm. for the most part you know they're still kicking out great fruit and Winderley and Belpont swear by it so we're happy to we're glad to see that they're still hanging on and you know they still have got great fruit sets on them so sure. we'll see how this harvest goes and both of those wineries make single vineyard designates mm -hmm. um, and their wines are lovely. Uh, Belpont particularly has been our customer since 1994, 94. 94. and um, he has made a Myrtle Vineyard Pinot always since then mm -hmm. um, and um, he's a, he is a a really good winemaker and he's got that vineyard dialed in really well so he knows he knows the vineyard and he knows how to make wine from that fruit so what what sets your vineyard apart what is what is it what are the special characteristics of your grapes oh uh, uh, the red fruit the cherry uh, raspberry nut and uh, of course Everybody talks about the Dundee Hills nose, so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the peppery finish on the back end. It's got a bit of a pepper on the back end. It's interesting, though. Uh, we sell uh, the wineries that we sell to, uh, four of them uh, Granville, which is Jackson Holstein, mm -hmm. um, White Rose, Winderley, and Belpont all make a single vineyard designate mm -hmm. from our uh, vineyard and their wines are different mm -hmm. um, they're all really good <laughs> and there are some underlying characteristics that are the same but there is a real there is a difference in all of them wouldn't you agree yeah, yeah. I think, you know, it's wine making styles barrels yeast so mm -hmm. I think several of them are natural yeasts so. mm -hmm. And whole cluster at White, at White whole Rose. Whole cluster seems to be a big thing now. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. It keeps you on top. When they tell you they want to do it, that keeps you on top of your spray program because you certainly don't want botrytis in the middle of whole cluster. Sure. So sure. Just knowing <laughs> when to put that uh, botrytis spray on before sure. bunch closing. And yeah. So you talked a little bit about some of the changes you've seen, at least in your kind of the local, very local wine industry. I'm curious, um, as you've seen the industry grow so much, what are the what are the changes besides just size? What are some of the other changes you've seen? You mentioned kind of a loss of like a loss of community. What are some of the other changes you've seen for positive or negative? Hmm. Well, uh, well, I guess I would say on the plus side, these big guys that are coming in are. Um, have done a great job of helping to put Oregon wines on the map. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm not sure had it stayed little mom and pops like it was in the beginning, 
if that would have happened. I mean, our Pinots are, are wonderful and they have gained worldwide recognition, but these big guys are marketing machines mm -hmm. and they can, their distribution is so much bigger than anything that I think in the beginning anybody would have figured out. So that ch I think that's that's a positive mm -hmm. for the for the bigger ones coming in. We've seen great innovations in equipment. Mm -hmm. and, oh yeah. You know, sprayers and tillers and tractors. And when we first started, uh, we had a two-wheel drive tractor on hillside. Believe me, <laughs> that's the last thing you want to see on a muddy day is trying to get a two-wheel drive tractor up that hillside. Sure with a hundred gallon sprayer on there and you're bouncing around. So it, I, I'm glad to see all this in new sprayers and weeding machines and now we've gotten into where there, the mechanical harvesting is starting mm -hmm. to be. We haven't seen it but we hear about it and uh, I think you're going to see innovation keep going. Uh, whether they pick it up through the raspberry pickers or the yeah, mm -hmm. boysenberry pickers and, and into making better grape picking machines. Mm -hmm. I think also with the bigger guys, there's probably been more research mm -hmm. done into, you know, what works well in a vineyard and things, things have absolutely changed mm -hmm. in the 25, six years that we've been at it. And um, as I said before, you know, we do things differently now than we did when we first started. And, um, and I think that's probably going to continue. Mm -hmm. I like some of the research coming out of Oregon State. I was going to ask about yeah. that. Oh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go, go ahead. Uh, in, the, uh, in the egg USDA over there, I, I'm always interested in what they're saying about uh, what's, uh, well, Dr. Stinkus, uh, mm -hmm. I always read her column because I, the money they put into her studies, and uh, it's helpful. Uh, mm -hmm. You sit there and see the uh, till, no till, the crop loads, you know, uh, just various things that they come up with in studies. Uh, some are uh, helpful to the grower. Mm -hmm. I, I hope, hope that more growers look at it because if you can find out that you don't need to make a pass through there doing another tilling, well, you've just saved yourself gallons of diesel and your time and where you could be doing something more profitable sure. for your company, your farm. Sure. One thing we found as we talked to particularly grape growers is the, the wide variety of opinions on the right way to do things and the wrong way to do things. <laughs> yep. I'm curious how you've, how you've sorted through all those opinions and all of the data and all of the research and innovations and, and sort of chosen your own, your path. It's what worked. Yeah, you know, you, we haven't varied very much from what we did starting. Mm -hmm. Of course, we've gotten new, we bought new sprayers. Mm -hmm. We've kept up there, and new tractors. Uh, tried and try to uh, your powdery mildew sprays are probably your most important things to get started with, and wh what works and what doesn't work, and the uh, the. the OVS and the other chemical companies mm -hmm. keeping you informed of okay this stuff is not working anymore uh, maybe it's time to switch this mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. 
there's a lot to stay on top of mm -hmm. because there's a lot of changes that happen every year, I think, uh, in, the, in the industry. And I think if we can figure out something like, we used to till every other row, uh, to clean cultivate every other row. And then we heard Patty Skinkus talk about, you know, didn't really make that much difference. And so we said, if it doesn't make that much difference, then why are we spending the time doing this? And so we don't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. And so when there are things that make uh, less passes through the vineyard, mm -hmm. um, that's a good thing. Um, if there are, we're big on, um, we spray seaweed and um, humic and things, you know, try to find natural kind of things that we can spray to give nutrients to the plants. And I know when we first started, nobody talked about nutrients to the plants. Mm -hmm. You know, that wasn't, nobody thought about it. Um, our vineyard looks a little weedy and, uh, you know, we have a lot of bugs out there and that's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of ladybugs and a lot of bees. And so I guess try to let Mother Nature do as much as Mother Nature can. Mm -hmm. And when we found phylloxera, that was just another sign to say, quit telling. Why are you moving this dirt all throughout the vineyard? Mm -hmm. uh, also, when you have workers in there, if the ground's compact with old grass or new grass on it, that means that mud on their feet is not traveling 10 yards down or sure. 200 yards down. So mm -hmm. kind of try to mitigate the movement of dirt now with phylloxeras. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. So you had mentioned earlier that you're, you are, you have given up your pruning and you're kind of pulling back. So what's the future for Myrtle? Are you guys, do you have a plan for what comes next? Well, we've... we've <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to be retiring and selling. Mm-hmm. We've talked it over with our buyers, and they're well aware of that the vineyard may be sold tomorrow, next week, next year. Sure. You know, I mean, it, with our great buyers. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so our customers. We will be 72 this fall, and we're not getting any younger. What do you plan to do after you retire? We will travel around and go to some wine tasting. <laughs> <laughs> go taste somebody else's <laughs> <Yeah>. wine. <laughs> What do you see happening in the future for Oregon wine? What do you see the next, say, 10 years in the Oregon wine industry looking like? I, I think there's always going to be a market for the person and, and, the, and the winemaker who wants the hand. Some ground like ours is not going to be machine picked. Mm -hmm. if, if you get to the point on our ground, it's a lot of, there we have about a third of it is terraced. You're not going to put a great picker on there. Some of it you could, but it would require a whole new trellis system. Mm -hmm. I think there's always going to be a market for the hand-picked premium grapes, and I think the Dundee Hills have pretty much proved that that's where it's going to be at. Yeah. I hope that's all right. Mm -hmm. And whoever gets the vineyard next, they're going to get to, <laughs> to find out. Sure, sure. I guess one thing I would say is I believe um, the Dundee Hills um, will become even probably more 
I don't want to say famous, but more in demand mm -hmm. um, than it has been in the past because I think the Dundee Hills has gained such a great reputation. And now there are a couple of really big premium wineries that have purchased ground there. Mm -hmm. They're going to um, promote that even more, I think. Um, I think the days of the little mom and pops like us are numbered. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's going to be, the buyers will be big places with wheelbarrows full of money because the young winemakers who personally that's who I would love to sell to mm -hmm. is a, a young person just getting off the ground they don't have the money and can't afford it. Mm -hmm. And that, that's kind of sad as well, because um, we've had, we have had um, conversations with a couple of them that have gotten fruit from our vineyard or, or worked in wineries that our vineyard fruit goes to. And they've been very complimentary about the fruit. And, you know, they would love to own that vineyard. Mm -hmm. but there's no way that they can afford it. And so they've basically been priced out of the Dundee Hills at least. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably true in Yamhill County. Mm -hmm. Maybe true throughout the state. I, you know, I just don't know what property's selling for in Roseburg or true. Medford or Grants Pass or something like that. Do you see more growth coming? Do you see, I mean, we're at 730 or whatever wineries now and over a thousand vineyards. Do you see that continuing to grow at the rate it's been growing? I don't know how much more ground they can put it. I guess you can start taking the, the valley floor. Mm -hmm. and they, I mean, they do it in California, so mm -hmm. that would be, I think growth has got to come. The hillsides are pretty much planted, mm -hmm. anything south facing in our area. Mm -hmm. Well, and now in our area, they have gone over our hill and are planting north facing. Wow. Um, vineyards and I guess it remains to be seen you know how successful they are sure. but there, there are some really big vineyards that and people have put a lot of money into the north side mm -hmm. over just on the other side of us interesting what advice would you give someone who wanted to enter the industry today and that can be in any, in any role in the industry what advice would you have be ready to work your butt off <laughs> for not a lot of money. 50 cents an hour about is what we... <laughs> yeah, I think it is. <laughs> if you can find a piece of ground, five acres, start small, mm -hmm. learn it. Don't be afraid to get your fingers dirty. You're not gonna make any money if you hire all of your work to be done. Mm -hmm. You've got to work it yourself. And for a couple of reasons. One, the cash flow won't be there to, um, if you have to hire it. It's going to be your favorite charity, like ours was for a long time. Um, and the other thing is, if you don't work it, you don't understand, you don't know what you're supposed to be doing. You have to, you have to understand and know what needs to be done in your, in your site. Mm -hmm. When we spray, um, and it's, you know, I, I complain all the time when I have to get on the tractor for six hours and spray the dang thing. But you get to look at every vine mm -hmm. and you know how 
everything's doing. Mm -hmm. And that's really important. You've got to stay connected to your ground. And the people that don't live here and don't get into their vineyards have lost that connection with mm -hmm. the land, I think. Mm -hmm. so all the questions I have planned for you. Uh, is there anything else I should have asked? Anything else you'd like to mention here at the end? I guess I would just like to close with one thing, and I, I would just say um, that the Oregon wine industry is just filled with lovely people, mm -hmm. and this makes me emotional. A lot of them are gone, mm -hmm. and I, I think um, a lot of them are our friends, mm -hmm. and I just hope that the new people the next generation can develop that kind of a community like we did. Mm -hmm. Okay, you got that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm done. <laughs> no, I understand. I understand. Yeah. Well, thank you both so much. We really do appreciate your time and, uh, and your thoughts. And we'll go ahead and stop there. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.